everyone, and welcome to Burr Informant's podcast series. My name is Beth Shirley, and I'm a partner in the firm's Birmingham office. I'm excited to co-host Burr's very first podcast episode as we discuss e-signatures and how the current COVID-19 outbreak presents not just major concerns for personal and public health, but also for enterprise continuity when companies must conduct businesses business remotely. A little bit about me. My practice focuses on data privacy compliance, investigating and addressing data breaches, cybersecurity, electronic contracts and signatures, and litigation in these areas and other commercial contexts. In addition, I'm excited to be joined today by my colleague, Ed Snow, who is a partner in our firm's Atlanta office. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Beth. Hello, everyone. As Beth said, I'm a partner in Burr's Atlanta office, where my practice focuses on commercial lending, representing commercial banks, finance companies, and funds and finance transactions. I also devote quite a bit of my time to helping clients implement electronic signature platforms and processes in the commercial lending arena. Often I work with Beth on these projects. Thanks for including me, Beth. Our hope is that this podcast will help answer questions businesses may have about using electronic signatures as part of their business continuity plan generally and using them for signing and closing contracts in commercial transactions. Ed, thank you for speaking with me on this podcast today as we talk about the need to conduct business transactions remotely during the current COVID-19 outbreak with a particular focus on the use of electronic signatures. I assume for many people, the place to start is, are electronic signatures legal? Yes, Beth, that, that's the right place to start. Um, electronic signatures or e-signatures have been legal for over 20 years for transactions where parties agree to conduct business by electronic means. The Federal eSign Act and the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, which was enacted by all the states except for three, and even those three states have a similar act, it does not apply to all legal documents and signatures, and that needs to be kept in mind, but only to electronic contracts and signatures relating to a transaction. So first of all, the parties have to agree to do business by electronic means, and their business needs to be a transaction. What is meant by a transaction is that parties who are in interacting with each other uh, for business and commercial purposes, like signing a contract. So for instance, court pleadings or wills and estates documentation would not be covered by these electronic signature laws or e-sign laws. But there may be other laws or regulations that enable people to submit court filings electronically. They're just not covered by these e-sign laws for contracts and conducting business. Now, they are legal and have been legal for 20 years, but in spite of these laws, people are still worried that electronic signatures might not be legal. If set up correctly, no one should have any problems with suing on a contract that has electronic signatures. In fact, ironically, what people should be more concerned about is using email day-to-day with different companies discussing contracts and inadvertently agreeing by sending emails to each other to a contract because an email could be an electronic signature. So more care should be taken with sending emails and discussing business deals than worrying about electronic signatures. Now, I should note that special consideration should be given to certain types of contracts and legal documents, such as promissory notes and mortgages. And perhaps we can discuss that in a few moments. What is an electronic signature? 
That's a great question. The definition under e-sign laws indicates that an e-signature is an electronic sound, a symbol, or process that's attached to or logically associated with a contract and executed or adopted by a person with the intent to sign the contract. E-sign laws do not require a specific technology, though, and they're written broadly to encourage new ways of conducting business, such as the use of blockchain and the digital signatures that are part of the blockchain process. Now, while this definition might sound like something from a, a science fiction movie, it's not really that different from historic practices and legal rules for signatures before the year 2000. It sounds like you want to give us a short history lesson, the emphasis being on short. Sure, probably more like a couple of anecdotes. Uh, You may have seen some old movies or maybe an episode on the Beverly Hillbillies where you see a room full of suited up characters who may be lawyers and bankers. And sitting at the table is, is a person who's in overalls, possibly a farmer. And that person is depicted as an illiterate character. And that person is about to sign a mortgage, say, on the family farm. And someone hands him a pen and says to him, Would he please make his mark on the dotted line of the mortgage? And that man picks up a pen and writes an X on the dotted line. And then a couple of the suited up characters will sit down as witnesses and and sign their name in cursive. This was a legal signature and even today is still a legal signature uh, because before e-sign laws were adopted, the definition of a signature under the law was very similar to that science fiction sounding definition. Quote, A person could sign their name by inscribing a word, a mark, or a symbol executed or adopted by that person with the present intention to authenticate a writing. What I just said and quoted is old pre-e-sign law language, but it sounds suspiciously similar to the definition of electronic signature, with the exception, of course, of that part about using a sound to make a signature. That's actually something I would like to see someone try to do someday. While I never closed a deal with someone making an X, say, on a multi-million dollar loan agreement, I did close a deal once in the late 90s where the borrower, a well-known entertainer, insisted on signing his name with his thumb and fingerprint inked on the signature line from an ink pad. His reasoning was that this signature would be very difficult to forge, which was sound reasoning. Our lender client at the time thought this was very unusual, and he asked us if this was legal, and we said yes. And in fact, at the closing table, back in the day when you used to close deals at a table in a room for three days, his attorney gave us a written legal opinion that that was a legal and valid signature. May be demonstrated and executed and delivered that contract. showing of a procedure to someone later who might read it, such as a judge or a jury. We set up the signature line to say, witness the thumb and fingerprint of entertainer intended as his signature. So can I just write an electronic signature with my finger on a tablet? You could. While signing a contract, say, pulled up on an iPad or another tablet, on the signature line, on that dotted line with your finger or a stylus, and then emailing it to someone else who pulls it up on their tablet for their signature, this can be done and this could constitute a valid and binding use of e-signatures to sign a contract. In fact, I've called it a do-it-yourself signature or DIY e-signature. But this is generally not advisable to do as a matter of course. And we may talk about that a little bit more later. The main concern in using an e-signature is not necessarily the form it takes, but in eliminating a later challenge to the validity of a contract contract if an opposing party claims someone else signed the contract in the courtroom, for instance. 
So how would I demonstrate in court that the other party to a contract was in fact the party that actually e-signed the contract? I'm not sitting in the room with him or her to witness their signature. Yes, this part is probably what makes most people nervous. Uh, An e-signature is attributable to a person if it was the act of the person. So if you think when you go on Amazon and buy something and you click, yes, I agree on a screen, or if you use your finger or a stylus to write your name on a screen at the grocery store at a point of sale device, each of these is an act applied to identify the person to which the e-signature was attributable. So if parties are using DIY e-signatures, again, not generally advisable, it would be very important to use some security procedures for later demonstrating an e-signature that you obtained in that way was attributable to the opposing party that e-signed the contract. So here's how you would do that. You would make sure that after you circulated that document by email and then collected it, and stored it, that you would save the emails, the text messages, and telephone calls, or note the telephone calls um, between the parties signing the contract. And that can be later used as evidence of attribution to demonstrate that the name on that contract was, in fact, the signature of the person who was supposed to be signing it. I would like to note, though, even though I seem somewhat leery of using a DIYE signature, many parties today are discussing using this during the COVID-19 outbreak, and several businesses may start using this as a stopgap measure. And those will work if adequate security procedures, like I've outlined, are used. And in fact, I know of at least one bank that has circulated an exception to its policy that they will accept signatures done in that fashion, but there has to be an agreement later that an original manually signed and inked document will be sent to the bank at the earliest convenience. And so in in this case, you can see that some of these parties will be willing to use electronic signatures. That is, we would like to have our electronic signatures and ink them too. But there's an easier and less risky way of doing this rather than doing your own electronic signatures. Numerous e-signature service providers on the market today, such as DocuSign or Adobe Sign, Write Signature, AssureSign, or Signix, among many others, include as a part of their services sophisticated security procedures in their e-signature process. And these can be used to demonstrate proper attribution of an e-signature in a court proceeding. There are several options for such security procedures when using these providers, and they are available to you as the user, such as the use of an email address or a password or a code that is sent separate from the email to the signer, and that signer has to put the code on the screen to use the e-signature program, or even a telephone call to confirm that the person signed the document. These are all usually readily available in an audit trail certificate that's produced by the e-signature company, and you can download and or print that as well. These are the best options for incorporating a dual-factor authentication procedure, that is, using at least two of these methods. And most courts have said that that's the best way to demonstrate attribution, by having a multi-factor process to identify the person. Also, these e-signature services can ensure that all parties obtained access to the final authoritative copy of the contract that was e-signed. And that's an important part of the process. How do I store e-signed contracts? This is a great question, too, because it'd be horrible to go through all this and then find out that you can't find the document or the document is later altered. So after distributing the e-signed contract to all the parties to such a contract, you will need a secure system for storing and re producing the final signed and unalterable copy of the e-signed contract. So it can be later retrieved and read 
The parties may have questions, may need to review the, the contract, and of course, produced in court if necessary. Again, these e-signature service providers can assist with this process, often in combination with a so-called e-vault, an electronic vault provider for certain types of electronic contracts, such as promissory notes. Obviously, e-signed contracts must be stored on computer systems with adequate cybersecurity protections, as I'm sure, Beth, you would remind people to do. <laughs> to avoid computer hacks. But this risk is not eliminated by the use of written contracts on paper either, since, of course, records rooms can be broken into or flooded, hacked, if you will, by physical means. So you mentioned promissory notes and mortgages and that these legal documents have some special considerations when using an e-signature? Yes, that's that's right. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, promissory notes. Let's talk about them. Let's say your company is the recipient of a promissory note issued by another company that's payable to you. This note can be signed by an electronic signature, an electronic note or an e-note. But here are some things that are very important to remember. Number one, your business, if your business requires you to transfer these promissory notes you receive, say, to your bank as a part of the bank's collateral, you will need to discuss with the bank whether converting your paper promissory note process with e-notes is permissible under your bank agreements. Number two, if you're a bank, you will need to ensure that such a process complies with your internal policies and procedures, some of which during the COVID-19 business interruption might be permitted at least temporarily. Number three, your note needs to include kind of some magic formula language. And that language is, this note is issued as a transferable record under UEDA or eSign or the equivalent applicable law. This language will give you the most protection you can get that you could get from what's called a negotiable instrument, which is really a promissory note that can be passed on to other parties and give them certain rights against the maker of the note. Number four, finally, you will want to have what's called control over the e-note. Uh, how do you control a bunch of electrons, which is what these documents are? They look like small pieces of paper on your screen, but they are electrons. How do you control them? Generally, a person has control over an e-note called by e-sign laws a transferable record if it is retained on a system that can reliably establish you as the recipient of the e-note and any new transferee as the person to which the e-note was transferred. Again, an e-signature service or an e-vault provider can provide assistance with this, and they should be consulted if this is a part of your business on an ongoing basis. Now, what about mortgages? Mortgages can be signed with e-signatures. They're included under the e-sign laws, but whether it can be recorded in the land records is a different question. And that's what needs to happen in order to, quote, perfect your lien as a mortgagee. And that's a more complicated and not quite settled issue at this point. Getting an e-mortgage recorded depends on local county recordation office practices and the kind of electronic notarization that will be accepted in that jurisdiction. And they may or may not permit what is called remote electronic notarization. As written, the e-sign laws allow for an e-notary, but they do not go so far as to eliminate any specific state requirements for what a notary must do to notarize a document, such as being present in the same room as the person signing the document or looking at their driver's license. And this, this tends to make the use of electronic notarization less useful in closing deals remotely. There is a movement, though, among the states to allow for remote electronic notarization, where a notary does not have to be in the same room as the signer, but can instead verify the signer's identity 
and view her or his driver's license by video, etc. Maybe using a, a video chat service or another application. In our southeastern footprint, Tennessee and Florida are the only states currently that permit remote e-notarization. I should mention, though, that given the challenges to conducting business transactions during the COVID-19 outbreak, possible that more governors will follow Governor Cuomo's a very recent example in giving an, an executive order to allow people to close transactions using e-notaries. On March 19th, the New York governor issued an executive order that included the following language. I won't read all of it. Uh, that was for a limited period from March 19th through April 18, 2020. It says, any notarial act that is required under New York state law is authorized to be performed utilizing audio video technology providing provided the following conditions are met. First, the person seeking the notary services, if not personally known to the notary, must present a valid ID to the notary during the video conference, not merely transmitted prior to or after. The video conference must allow for direct interaction between the person and the notary. So you can't have a pre-recorded video that's sent. Person must affirmatively represent that he or she is physically situated in the state of New York, because this is a state of New York law. Person must transmit by fax or electronic means a copy of the signed document directly to the notary on the same date it was signed. The notary may notarize the transmitted copy of the document and transmit the same back to the person. And finally, the notary must repeat the notarization of the original signed document as of the date of execution, provided the notary receives such original signed document together with electronically signed notarized copy within 30 days after the date of execution. So clearly, this is a stopgap. I see we're running out of time. A final question. Can I use e-signatures to sign a contract with a party in another country? Well, I'll give you a quick answer. That depends. It depends on the laws of that country. Of course, Burr & Foreman is not an international law firm, but we work with law firms throughout the United States and across the globe all the time and would be happy to contact those colleagues of ours to assist with cross-border transactions that require a electronic signature. Thank you, Ed. Beth, it was my pleasure. We hope this discussion was useful and touched on some points that you may have had questions about. Find future podcasts, webinars, and legal resources related to the coronavirus. Burr and Foreman has created a Coronavirus Resource Center that you can find on our firm's website at burr.com. That's B-U-R-R.com. If you have questions or need advice regarding the use of e-signatures for your business, you can reach Ed at Ed Snow or E Snow at Burr.com. That's E S N O W at B U R R.com. And my email is B Shirley at Burr.com. That's B S H I R L E Y at B U R R.com. Thank you everyone for joining us. 